0: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey, friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. On today's episode, we have Dr. Elise Parrish, a doctor of physical therapy and the founder of Ally Wellness. One thing before we get started today, and I dive into all the things that I'm going to be talking about with Dr. Elise. We recently launched a Patreon for our show, which if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a member exclusive platform where you could pledge a small amount every month to help support the show. This helps us grow and cover all the baseline costs of running the podcast and you, in turn, gain access to ad-free episodes of the show, monthly bonus episodes after the episode deep dives with our guests, community episode discussions, listener questions, and bonus content shared only with our patrons and even more to come. Check out more at patreon.com slash wholehearted eating. Of course, the link will be in the show notes and a huge thank you to all of our current and new patrons for your support. Alright, so about today's episode and our guest, Elise's mission is to help folks feel good in their bodies. They provide sliding scale physical therapy, personal training, and wellness services in a safe and affirming environment. On today's episode, Elise and me, Dana, are going to be discussing the problems of the traditional PT environment, how it alienates and disproportionately affects people in marginalized bodies. We talk about how and why Elise is working to create a safe environment for healing all bodies regardless of size, socioeconomic background, gender, sexuality, and race, which by the science is a much more conducive environment for healing the nervous system and the physical body we're also addressing the number one thing most people have heard when they go to PT, which is that you need to lose weight to fix the pain. We talk about how this is completely inaccurate in evidence-based practice, how this doesn't actually help clients manage their pain, even if they do manage to lose weight, and what we can do instead by treating the body that you're currently in. Welcome back to Wholehearted Eating, listeners. Today, I'm excited to have a great conversation on PT, which we have not yet actually talked about too much on this podcast. So we're excited to welcome our guests today. So if you could please introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners, and then we will jump right in to what I know will be a pretty juicy conversation.
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, My name is Elise Parrish. I'm a doctor of physical therapy based in Philadelphia. And I have a company called Ally Wellness where I do sliding scale PT and personal training for marginalized folks.
0: We love to see it. So, jumping right in, right? So, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about, you know, maybe for either people who aren't super familiar with the physical therapy world or people who have experienced it, but let's say only one side of it, right? If we could talk about, What is the kind of traditional PT environment currently like? And how does this disproportionately affect people in marginalized bodies?
1: Sure. Um, The current PT environment is very much insurance um, dictated. So based on your insurance, you are provided with a list of places you can go. You go to that place. Um, a PT will do your intake with you personally for about somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour. And then you come back for a bunch of visits, usually like two times a week every for six to eight weeks. Um, and the treatments are mostly exercises and some like hot packs, cold packs. But the thing about being insurance driven is that profit is a big part of it. So there is incentive for the company to assign a therapist two to three patients at a time. And then the therapist is responsible for submitting the billing for all those patients, coding the billing so they make the most money. And then somewhere in between there, they're also supposed to be doing patient care. So what that does is it puts the therapist under a lot of pressure. It also um, makes, it makes it so that a company wants to attract payers, insurance companies that pay a lot of money. Those companies are like your Blue Cross Blue Shield and those type of plans. Usually you have a higher paying job if you're going to be able to have access to that plan. And now with the current insurance market, even with a higher paying job, your insurance might not be that good, Mm but (laughs) it's easier for you to find a spot at a PT clinic, a busy PT clinic. um, If your insurance is going to pay the right amount, some clinics won't even accept insurance that most people with Um, you know, less income privilege have. So if you're on Medicaid, um, which a lot of marginalized people end up on because of the socioeconomics of how the United States works, Mm -hmm. um, you might not be able to get into a PT clinic. And if you do, that clinic is flooded with people sometimes because that's the only clinic around accepting your insurance. And if you add on top of that, that a lot of people from different experiences have trauma that informs their pain the type of environment where you can work with trauma related pain is it needs to be a little bit more private and one-on-one and the therapist and the client need to really make a relationship so that we can establish how we're going to tackle this problem without flaring you up in other ways. Right. But imagine if you're dealing with that and you walk into a clinic and there's like your therapist has two other people, there's music going, everybody's exercising together. You know what I mean? It's just the paperwork is not designed for you. So when they come in, You're not going to get to put your actual name that you go by. You have to use whatever name the insurance company has on the file. Mm. And then, you know, it's not the most diverse field as well. So even in a clinic where maybe 50, 60% of the population are patients of color, you might have one therapist of color, maybe. So there's a lack of representation and there's a lack of time for either the therapist or the client to really get. services that they need effectively.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you mentioned how we see this a lot in our field as well of how trauma can inform the symptoms of pain and trauma can really contribute to the pain that you may be experiencing. It's not necessarily a, you know, like, oh, I fell down the stairs and I've had this injury. It's over time, the experience of trauma and wherever that is coming from. Unless you as the specialist, as the PT or the healthcare provider have had some trauma informed care training, you're not going to know, you know, you're going to be looking for, oh, you know, physically, where is the pain coming from? And we need to address that, not mentally, emotionally, how this may be informing the pain or making it worse or anything like that. And of course, in, you know, an insurance based uh, market or practice, a lot of the time there isn't time to go into that like you mentioned and you know the environment that you're describing for someone who has experienced trauma and depending on the type of trauma that that is that feels like a really unsafe environment when you are trying to seek out services where the purpose for you is to create more safety and a safe healing environment so that you can heal it just when you were describing that it sounds very chaotic and not like a very safe healing environment to me so I understand why a lot of PTs at least in my experience go to the non-insurance route but then that makes it even more inaccessible to people
1: yes yes because non-insurance visits are very expensive
0: oh yeah for sure (laughs) yes I have experienced that (laughs) myself Um, and you know you go for the first one and it's like my intake is how much, excuse me? Like, I think I'll be, I'll just stay in pain because I can't, (laughs) like, I can't afford to address my pain, which like, you know, it it is absurd. It's just so, it's so tough. But I'm sure one of the reasons that you practice from the way that you do and the kind of, you know, Logan, or Logan, (laughs) I tried to say logo mm-hmm. and slogan at the same time. The kind it of you know, know exactly. <laughs> slogan that you have for your business is your body deserves an ally, right? So tell us a little bit more about how you incorporate health at every size, competent care, and you know other modalities to help create more of a safe environment for people. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, the first thing that I do is try to bust any myths that they have heard along the way about size and health and musculoskeletal pain um we love spts to tell people if you would lose xyz pounds then you won't have knee pain
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then people lose xyz pounds and they're like my knee hurts and i'm like because <laughs> no one looked at your knee like you, you have a knee and we have tools to examine that knee, and we should use them regardless of what size you are um So the first thing I like to tell people is educating them on their body and what it does and how it compensates and giving them examples of, you know, there are pro athletes who are encouraged to be competitive athletes and they're larger size and no one's like, oh, you can't, you can't play football today. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that advice is really not based in the science of movement that is based in our bias against people of different sizes. Mm -hmm. That's just what that is. Um, And then how, oh, my approach to practice. So yeah, first I try to get that out of the way. Like that's not what's going on with you. And then I just use the tools that I have been taught um, from my profession. And I think my original background is in marine science. And so that science background, yeah, I have a wild journey to (laughs) PT, but... (laughs) The science background has made me really stick to, I think, the facts that I heard when I was learning about the profession and what the facts say. So what can I do? Like, I am actually not a nutritionist. And I'm not going to tell you about working on your diet and getting rid of carbs. And you know, I'm not going to give you that kind of popular advice. I might tell you, reach out to a nutritionist. Hey, I know this nutritionist, you know, that could help you out if that's something you're looking for. But my job is to encourage movement and I am an expert in movement. So I kind of, in that regard, I stick to my job. I examine how strong you are, how mobile you are, what you want to do. And then we figure out a way for you to do that. And I feel like as a PT, that is my job is to figure out how to in the body that you have, get you to do the things that you want to do in a way that's safe. So we're going to do it at your home. I come to my clients or we do virtual sessions mixed. That's your environment. Um, But if you want more camaraderie, I'm there with you, too, because community is a big part of anything that you're trying to change. Um, And then we respect pain. That's something I'm really big about. Like, we respect the signals that your body is giving you and learning to interpret these signals that way. Like, um, when your body gives you a pain message, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is telling you that it needs something. Right. So we're not gonna ignore that. We're gonna change the way we're moving so that we can still get after our goal, but not put you in pain or tell you something like, Oh, uh, that's not really pain. That's because you you eat too much. Oh, you,
0: know, you I'm mean gaslighting? Miss- <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I think that takes that takes a little weight off you as a professional, right? Like, oh no, once you lose the weight, then you can come back and we'll figure out what's going on. I'm like, Well, that's not your job, mm-hmm. is it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what I see and that's how I try to go against that that model.
0: Yeah. One thing that I want to go back to what you said that I loved is the phrase in the body you have. Because like you're mentioning if if you're operating by the, let's say, traditional PT model of like oh well if you just lose weight all your pain will go away and then you have these people come back and they've have lost the weight however they've done it and then their pain is still there there's kind of this um you know stigma that they may feel has been placed on them like, oh i didn't lose enough weight you know i didn't do enough what i did was wrong and you know that's that's not the case at all the case is that in the body that you have your pain was not addressed what the practitioner it may feel like the practitioner was saying is, oh, I can't actually treat you in the body that you have. So I need you to come back with a different body And then I'll be able to treat you, which in my opinion, listen, I'm not in the PT world, but that just sounds lazy. And like you were mentioning, it's also not following the science. It's funny you mentioned that you were, um, you started in kind of like marine science. The first thing I ever thought I wanted to be was a marine biologist. So I love that. (laughs) And I also did not end up in that field. Um, Just a random anecdote for this podcast. (laughs) today. I don't think I've ever said that on a podcast before. I would love if you could go into a little bit more, you know, like, following the science, you know, what does the science say? Because so many, you know, in the PT world they are like, oh, well, you know, it just, it says if you lose weight, then your pain will go away. And we know that not to be true. So what does the science say about how we can treat the body that you have to help your pain without trying to change the body that you have in order to address the pain, which we know doesn't work?
1: The science says, this is, I love pain science. So this is something that's really good. Um, there's two things that come to mind about the science. The one thing that they're pretty sure on is that patient client relationship or patient practitioner relationship determines about like 60, 70% of your therapeutic outcome. So I got to go back into the literature to get you some real stats. I don't want you to, (laughs) somebody be like, wait a minute. But anyway, it is a large determinant of how well the treatment is going to go. This exists in therapy a lot, and it also exists in physical therapy. Um, So if you tell a client, if you lose this weight, the pain will go away and they come back to you and it's not true, you have already harmed your therapeutic relationship. So right there, your chance of fixing this problem has decreased. The prognosis has gotten worse, just based off of what you said. Mm -hmm. We haven't even gotten to PT yet. And then the second thing is, is about respecting signals that come from the body. Um, It doesn't matter what size you are, you have a body and that body communicates with you. So my job is to help you understand those signals and respect them so that you don't get yourself in a place of trouble or a place where you've exposed yourself to chronic pain because you weren't listening to the signals. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that research tells us is that the amount of exercise required to improve your cardiovascular strength and the amount of exercise required to lose weight are not the same. Those are different prescriptions. So if you're truly worried about health, then you are prescribing for cardiovascular fitness, um, which is not the same as like, you know, weight loss, weight gain. Mm-hmm. So you don't even need to get into that. The other thing is strengthening is uh, it depends on uh stimulation at the right level over time. So Based on how much you can lift now and um, how much we want you to be able to lift in the future, we steadily increase the load so that your body has more capacity to do work. And when I say lifting, I mean everyday ass mm-hmm. up and down the steps, running for the bus, that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we know how to strengthen muscles. That's just, that's time and that's um, the, the proper amount of resistance. And we know how to regulate the nervous system to decrease pain and get you more mobile. So that's what the research says. Um, It's all these things are possible to do and it doesn't, the weight component is not a factor in those.
0: Yeah. And it's such an important reminder. And I am a big nervous system nerd, so I'd love to go into that a little bit more. Um, (laughs) One of the things that you put on your Instagram that I love is talking about how chronic pain changes or creates changes in the brain and the nervous system, right? And so if we take that to be true, then we have to, you know, as a kind of prerequisite for treatment, part of that has to be on the brain and the nervous system level, right? And one of the things that you mentioned is that the, um, you know, patient practitioner relationship and basically creating this environment of safety is a huge extrapolating factor for, increasing the you know likelihood of um, less pain, let's say. And when we relate that to the nervous system, if we're looking to, create, uh, let's see, put the nervous system in a more, you know, conducive environment for healing, that is safety, right? Fight or flight versus rest and digest, or, you know, freeze and fawn over here as well. If we are taking the weight-focused approach to PT and then you've kind of, you know, broken that trust let's say as a practitioner oh you need to lose weight in order to you know fix your pain and then you come back as the patient is like oh you know I have lost weight and I haven't fixed my pain that then from a nervous system approach you're no longer in oh this is a safe environment for me it's this is an unsafe environment for me because the advice that I have been given has not worked for me and now I feel like there's something wrong that's a threat to the body right because when we're trying to figure out oh how can I be in less pain how can I create an environment conducive for healing that's the safe part of the nervous system that we're digging into Not the case when we're in a kind of weight-focused model. So it sounds like, you know, if we look at chronic pain causes changes in the brain and the nervous system, we need to take a nervous system approach and the environment that it sounds like you're creating, which is much more safe, which is much more inclusive for people in, let's say, larger bodies, any kind of marginalized bodies, even just that in itself, creating that, you know, co-regulated safe environment, regardless of what you do, it sounds like... Just that is such a much more, you know, warming and safe environment for people to come in that they most likely start to notice changes even before you help them with anything about physical strength or, you know, core strength or anything like that. So I just wanted to thank you for doing the work that you're doing because it sounds like even just the environment is a great place. That is somewhere I would go for sure. (laughs) I'd yes. be <laughs> like, that was my goal. Awesome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think also it was an environment I needed to be in. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I created an environment where I could practice the way that I thought physical therapy should be done. Um, I did get a chance to work as an environmental science a little bit. I worked for a couple of years, like three years on a ship. Um, and it was not a diverse environment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. And I remember how I felt all the time. And to your point, if you've already activated someone's nervous system by putting them in this environment, then we're working against ourselves. And at the same time, we know that physical therapists like to do manual therapy where we work with the spine and we move the joints around and all that. But research has showed us that that's not, we're not actually moving a joint. Like I can't move your spine in and out of place. That doesn't happen. (laughs) What we are doing is sending a, a signal to your nervous system that it's okay to move in these directions, like nothing happened. I'm with you. I'm going to guide you through these movements. You're having trouble with it. And then I have you practice it yourself because your nervous system has now realized like, oh, my shoulder does move up and down. We don't have to send a pain signal all the time. Right. We know that that's research that's been done. That's stone. We know that, but we don't often practice in that knowledge. For some reason, we kind of take an older approach to it when we thought that we were actually physically going to like make changes in these joints um even though we know better and that's a little bit odd to me that we practice against the knowledge that we already have
0: you know what it sounds very like the nutrition world unfortunately <laughs> 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 um yeah. man um but i want to comment one thing on that and then i want to go into a little bit of you know your experience of why you wanted to create this environment in the first place sure. right When I'm thinking of, let's say you have someone who is your physical therapist and they look nothing like you, you have a history of trauma to the point where you're like, I'm uncomfortable with people putting their hands on me. And unless they have created that safe environment, nervous system is lit up, right? We are activated. This does not feel like a safe environment. Even if the intent of that therapist is I want to create a safe environment. I want to show your body that it's okay to move into this range of motion and you won't have pain because it's not weight bearing, it's not weight loading, you know, anything like that. And then again, going back to the environment you described of, you know, chaos before of like each therapist seeing three people at a time and the music is going and people are working out. It's just, it sounds like an overstimulating, potentially triggering nightmare as well.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. Um, When I was treating, if I had a client that I knew, when I was treating in a large clinic like that, if I had a client I knew, there were two things. I knew if their nervous system was keyed up a lot, sometimes they would come in and they wouldn't tolerate exercise. Now, here's the conflict in a big clinic. I'm supposed to charge you Mm. four units for this so that (laughs) the lights stay on, right? I'll let a client go into like our private treatment area, turn off all the lights and do breathing for 30 minutes and then go home. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, what are we doing here? I can't have you on the floor with everybody. You're obviously uncomfortable. Yeah. And a lot of people really appreciated that. The amount of people who were like, I just needed a timeout. Mm-hmm. I like, will come here and get your timeout. And to me, I can bill for that service because it's it's neuro. I am down-regulating someone's neuro- nervous system on purpose. Like I knew what they needed from the knowledge that was out there. And I gave that to them. <laughs> um, the other thing that I think happens is... You have to be really sensitive to what your the feedback from your client. Is it their face? Is it the way their body tenses? And most PTs, because they have the experience around the body, if they're paying attention and they have the opportunity to pay attention, they will know they should be able to see a person who doesn't need to be touched versus one who does. Even if what they say is, no, that's fine. Cause a lot of people believe you're just. You grin and bear it, you're a healthcare professional, you know what you're doing, you mm-hmm. just do this thing. And I'm like, no, your body knows what's up. Mm-hmm. It's gonna tell me, and you can tell me too, if I should proceed. Um, And I've gotten away from a lot of hands-on manual therapy because of being trauma-informed and knowing that people don't like to be touched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they wanna be touched, there are also other practitioners who are probably better suited yeah. for that than me. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, as... To use a colloquialism, I stay in my lane. And that helps me a lot to respect people's boundaries.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's respecting people. On one hand, it's respecting people's boundaries. Um, It's, you know, as you've mentioned, it's treating someone in the body that they currently have, not a, you know, changed body that we're saying, oh, we can't treat you until, you know, your body is this. And it's also meeting people where they are, right? It's not Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, you have to be at this level and then i can treat you, right? And then we can do these modalities. It's like, "No, this is a safe space for you. I'm meaning like I acknowledge that it was hard for you to even come in here to begin with, and then we're just going to go from whatever square you're at for now, right? <clears throat> um so I'd love to go into, you know, how, how did you, you know, what, if you feel comfortable sharing, what is your personal story to get from, you know, the marine biology, marine sciences world to come <laughs> to being, you know, a uh, weight inclusive, you know, a completely establishing this new kind of safe environment for a PT practice?
1: Sure. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Listen, I'm we got time.
0: We, we're on a okay, podcast. <laughs>
1: That's true and there's editing um so <laughs> <laughs> i like i said my original degree is in marine science um and while i was at school i also worked a lot in a big like activist community and we went to new orleans after hurricane katrina um and helped like gut houses i just you know i learned a lot and i learned a lot about marginalized communities. And then I am a black queer person in the world. So I come from a marginalized community. So I see it every day in my actual life. Like how long did I avoid going to the doctor when I was a young adult? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know what was gonna happen when I went in, right? So I've had that experience with the medical establishment and um, I, I knew that whatever career I got into had to be something that offered the world some sort of solution, right? That's always kind of been in the back of my mind. So, I was an environmental scientist. I was on the ship. The ship had a lot of, like, it it was a little bit rough. You know, you're out at sea and it's not the most diverse crowd. And I decided, you know, I want to go back to the city and, like, you know, see people again. So I got off about three years later. I worked for a while, you know, uh, retail jobs with bad insurance and not being able to, like, maybe I could go to my primary once in a while, but, like, getting hit with a bill for out of pocket costs because the insurance really doesn't cover anything. Mm -hmm. I worked in that kind of field for like three years and then I decided to go back to school uh, because I liked working out and I had the science background and I went to Google and I was like, Google, tell me what to do. And it said, you can be a forest firefighter or you can be a physical therapist. And so <laughs>
0: So here we are. <laughs> so here
1: we are. So Google was like, here you go, you're out there. So I go to PT school, massive amounts of debt. PT school is wildly expensive. As all oh, I mean, that's how schooling works now, right? Um so again, I'm in this situation where I'm like, if I went to a PT and they told me I had to pay them $150 out of pocket for a session to get a good session, I would be like, well, I guess PT is not happening, right? Um, I graduated, I worked for a large PT company, and then I was starting to get burnt out. I, I was always a little bit afraid of working for a large company because I had heard about this like kind of mill style PT And even though my company wasn't terrible, I was beginning to burn out and also getting really frustrated with the rhetoric I was hearing around, oh, uh, this person's a federally funded patient, which is Medicaid uh, for low income persons. Uh, They're probably not going to show up on time or um, (laughs) someone would come in using different pronouns and we had no space on the on the sheet for it. So you go up to get your patient and you're offending them right from the gate. There's my patient client relationship right there, blown out of the water for a piece of paper. Right. Um and then also we have such a lean towards athletes and PT. It is wild. We like, we want to work with somebody who has an ACL reconstruction. They're gonna go play basketball again. That's like two percent of the population. <laughs> Meanwhile, people come in here in bodies that people have and we can't we can't address it because oh you don't fit into this this picture that we have mm-hmm. um and then so that was kind of bubbling in the background and you know i'm a little bit of an activist and i'm like that's bullshit and um <laughs> i hope i can curse
0: oh and then, yeah <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Okay.
1: So it's bullshit right <laughs> and then um, covid came and i love reading the news so i was clocking covid like in asia mm. Four people in my clinic really knew about it. And I was like, yo, this thing is coming across. It just popped up in New York. Or no, I think it had popped up in California. And I was like, once it's in California, it's in it's in the world, right? We have it. It's in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we should buy some thermometers now before they get too expensive. So I go to my boss. He's like, all right, cool. We'll buy the thermometer first. They're like, can you buy it for us? No company car. <laughs> Sorry, that was an aside. <laughs> And then they buy it. So, okay, we have our thermometer and they were going up and up in price. And I go to use it and my boss goes, corporate hasn't approved us to use the thermometers yet. And I was like, oh, and <laughs> am leaving. And that was that was kind of the last straw that I was like, it's time to go.
0: The thermometer um, that broke the camel's back.
1: <laughs> and this is where we get back to using the knowledge we have. We're healthcare professionals. I don't need corporate to tell me what a fever is. And if you have a fever you can't come to the clinic. That's it. But you don't want to lose the money. And also at that time they were talking about if you have these pre-existing health conditions, you probably shouldn't be out in public, right? I was at a clinic that served an underserved community and you know, maybe like 70% of the patients so often the healthcare is not working for them the same way the healthcare system works for everybody else. Mm. And there's all these psychosocial factors that lead to these metabolic conditions that we also blame on people even though we know the truth. Mm. Um and they're still coming in because we won't tell them this is not safe for you. Even though we know the healthcare system doesn't treat these people like it treats everyone else. So if they get sick and go to the hospital, their odds of dying are higher. They can't be here, right? Um so yeah, I was like, now nah, I'm going to start my own practice. So I I left, I started it and I've been growing it ever since. You know it's a bumpy road, I'm sure you know that. <laughs> but I It brings me a lot of joy to be able to practice this way. So I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, hey, it sounds like you're doing amazing work and there's a massive need out there, you know, like d- behind the scenes for the listeners. Christina and I have been trying to find a – Health at Every Size, weight-inclusive PT to come on the podcast for more than a year. And we were just like, we're like asking everybody. And then finally we found you. So we really appreciate that you're coming on because this conversation is one that needs to be had. It needs to be not just had on, you know, like small podcasts and everything. It needs to be everywhere, right? Because Mm -hmm. the, like you were saying... In, you know, PT, and this happens in nutrition as well, if we as practitioners are saying, oh, we, you know, we prefer to treat, you know, the 1% of people, what happens to the other 99% of people that are out there, right? What about these issues that, you know, all of these people who are not, you know, like affluent, white, blah, 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 you know, like cisgendered, like everything, you know, when when you don't fit the extremely narrow box that the healthcare field is basically made for, and only those people can thrive in these conditions, everybody else gets just, you know, laid by the wayside. And it's like, oh, you know, you have uh, high blood pressure, you're, you know, quote, overweight, you know, you're all these things. Oh, we can't do anything for you until you take care of that. Well, how are they supposed to take care of that when, There's so many factors that are either out of their control, whether it's socioeconomic factors, it's genetic factors, it's, you know, like all of these different things that they have no control over. And now you're telling them, oh, well, you should have control over this or you wouldn't have these health conditions. You wouldn't be this size. You wouldn't be in pain. It's medical gaslighting all over the place. So establishing this safe space that you're doing. I mean, you're you're doing the work for the world, right? And I think it's so cool that you also have been able to kind of incorporate your activism background with the science in creating this safe space. I feel like we're a little bit of, you know, kindred spirits in there too, because my background is also in, you know, activism. I used to work in politics before it went to shit. Um, <laughs> for the good side, let's say, for the people. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's so... It is, you know, from our practitioner standpoint, it is really nice to be able to do what we are really passionate about and help the people that need the most amount of health that feel like sometimes Christina talk about how people can feel like they're in kind of like no man's land, right? Like they've tried the traditional approach and that didn't work for them and then they try they're like, oh, we're just going to go all the way to the other side and you know that didn't work for them either and they're like, so is there nothing for me or, you know, where where can I actually find help in a safe space with somebody who's going to listen to me, see me for who I am, acknowledge who I am, and then meet me where I am in order to help me move forward. So I appreciate that you're creating that safe space and it sounds like you're doing a great job, so. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) You know, what's funny is usually when I have the, Oh, tell me a little bit about yourself and your story. It's usually at the beginning of the episode and we just went into it. But um, I do want to ask one, at least one more thing as well, because this is something that I see a lot with people who are in all different types of chronic pain, whether it's GI symptoms, it's hormonal imbalances, it's physical pain, it's all of the things. And It's really hard to not blame the physical body when our body is in pain, whether it's because we had a, you know, a sports injury or we fell up or down the stairs or, you know, we just got out of bed the wrong way, or it's a history of very complicated early childhood trauma or something, you know, more recent. It's really hard to not blame our physical bodies when we are in pain. So how do you help your clients kind of navigate that minefield?
1: Hmm, that's a hard one. Um, I, what I usually do, this is a lot about education for me, and learning that, one, learning how miraculous the body is. Like It does so much stuff all the time, and we only really notice how much it does when it goes wrong. Right. So it's your body is at all times trying to communicate with you. And if we begin to understand what those communications mean, then we can take a little bit of the pressure off. Like, you know, my body is punishing me like it's not punishing you. There's a need state and it's trying to make you aware. And to the extent that we can satisfy that need, your body will stop sending you those signals that make you uncomfortable. and it also has the capacity to heal itself to an extent. So like, instead of working with it as a um, as an antagonist, your body is actually your collaborator. And the reason it's telling you these things is because it wants you to do something. It needs a change and it's trying to tell you. that I try to get it more to your body's communicating you whether rather than your body is punishing you. Or with things like arthritis, which people get really bummed about. You know, you get like you start approaching 30 and stuff starts creaking. And I'm like, you got to understand, like from an evolutionary standpoint, you're supposed to live. Like, this was it. You hit 30. You should have had some progeny by now because it's over. (laughs) But your body is amazing and you get to keep living. But there's some wear and tear, right? Like you got to treat this thing like the classic car that it is now. Um, oh, I like that. And we love classic <laughs> things, right? Yeah, you love antiques, right? They're beautiful. They have history. They're useful. But you don't treat them like you treat everything else. You don't put that in the dishwasher. You know what I mean? So be nice to it. Stretch it before you go out and do a bunch of stuff. Do things gradually. Pay attention when it tells you no. And you and your body will have, you know, a better relationship. That kind of thing. That's kind of how I like to frame the body for people and see if they. You know, turns things a little bit for them.
0: People love classic cars. I love that analogy so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've always felt. I remember one day looking at a really nice older car, and I was like, "That's what I'm talking about!" Like it was well oiled. You know what I mean? They like people park them. There's like cones in front of them. You know, you take you take extra caution with this thing because it's so valuable and it has done so much for you that you put a little bit more into it as opposed to like, yeah, if I had a Kia, my own, you know, it's got some scratches on it. All right, I don't care. <laughs>
0: that's for twenty-two year
1: olds. Like that's not, <laughs>
0: that's not
1: how we're living now. So that
0: is how we treat we our body as 22 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not,
1: mm, it's not doing that for you forever. You wouldn't do that to your dog. Like if you had an older dog, you wouldn't be like, oh, that dog is useless because he's a little slower. <laughs> like. <laughs> He's fully house trained, Mm -hmm. right? He knows what to do and what not to do. And appreciating those things about yourself and then working on other things, but not casting the whole thing out because there's some stuff that's uncomfortable.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Um, Well, speaking of valuable, this conversation has been extremely valuable. So I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on and having this extremely important conversation as well. Um, So before we go, please tell people all the places where they can find you. I will have all of this linked in the show notes, but just in case they're not, you know, if they're driving or something, their classic car and they're not looking at their <laughs> phones, we can get it into their ears too.
1: <laughs> got you, got you. Um, you can find me on the, on the internet at www.ally-, not underscore, it's a dash, wellness.com. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm not very good at social media, so I'm gonna try to remember this hashtag off bat. Um <laughs> Um, it's ally wellness dash PHL. That's that one. Um, I also offer free 20 minute consultation. So if anybody's interested in just learning more about their body, if you have a question, you're curious about something, or you want treatment that you can sign up with me there for, you know, just to learn a little bit more, I'll share some links too, and you can click away and find me that way.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. I had a great time. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any feedback, any comments on the episode, feel free to send us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com, which is also where you can find Christina and Dana more about our courses and our individual one-on-one client services. As I mentioned in the intro of the show, we also recently launched a Patreon for our show, which is a member exclusive platform where you can pledge a small amount to help us support the podcast. Huge shout out to all of our current Patreons and thank you so, so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. If you don't know what Patreon is, This member-exclusive platform helps us grow and cover the baseline costs of running the podcast, which a lot of people don't know about, but there is a good bit that goes into that. And you, in turn, in exchange for your support, gain access to ad-free episodes of the show, monthly bonus episodes with Christina and Dana, after the episode deep dives with our guests, Community episode discussions, listener questions, and bonus content shared only with our patrons, and so much more to come. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating, and of course, the link will be in the show notes. Find us on Instagram at wholeheartedeatingpod, find Dana at danamonsies underscore and find Christina at Christina Hoyt Nutrition. And that's it for today, friends. We'll see you next week.